you know, in his in his own statement um, that was read out during during his sentencing hearing, he's sort of saying he's a, trying to mediate a peace agreement, and maybe he'll make that argument still. But he's certainly taking a, a very proactive approach in telling Jerry what to say to the IRA guys, and 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 there's no doubt about that. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Jerry the Monk Hutch hated what organised crime had become by the time the state say he was headed north to organise the return of the AK-47s after the Regency hotel attack. It was March 2016, his brother Neddy was already dead and he knew that an agreement with the Kinahan organisation overseen by northern paramilitaries was the only hope of saving the rest of his family. Such is the narrative spilling out at the Special Criminal Court, where surveillance tapes are being played, and where the monk stands accused of murder. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about plots to kill, about an underworld in turmoil, and about a monk on a mission to stop a tide of murder. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. You know, we work with this guy, and of course I'm not going to name him, but um, he always says that if you're in company and you can't identify the grueler, then it's you. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's, a, it's an old uh, Sunday world tradition um, that if, if there's an, there has to be one annoying person in the group, and if you think they're all really sound, then the annoying person is you yourself. So that's why I was trying to get at really yesterday when I was talking to you about Jonathan Dow. I'm so glad you heard the tapes today and you can hear the interaction between the two of them because, and he's not as bad actually today. I think maybe he started off very excited with all his showy stories to, to Jerry Hutch, but you could get, do you get what I mean about him being a bit of a grueler? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's his neediness comes through on tape, I suppose. Uh, his need to impress Jerry Hutch, his need to impress him that he knows all these different people, that he knows what's going on. And in fact, he is way more focused on the media even than Jerry, who's, you know, touch and go and, and, and certainly doesn't buy into it as much. So, yeah, his, his neediness comes true, you know. And like you can see that Jerry's been away and a lot of what has been discussed, Dowdall is telling him. Yeah, he seems to be, he's studying the newspapers and the internet and kind of keeping Jerry in touch with stuff and then he seems to be double checking with him just random things like the 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 who was at the funeral David Burns funeral he's talking about a couple of the the, the Thomas Barmer Cavanagh's associates being at there and he's asking Jerry are they really big shots and Jerry's got ah they all, they make they make this up but he does have an interesting moment then Jerry when he says people were ordered to go to that funeral by by Kenna and it wasn't a you had to go and you had to appear and he, he then says people were ordered not to go to, to Gary Hutch's, Jerry's nephew's funeral in the same way. So it does show you that, that, which we always said at the time, that there was a propaganda statement at that, at that funeral. So, yeah, but it's, it's Jonathan Dowdle always trying to check it up, be in the know. So it started this morning and there was a kind of like a couple of little bits of gossip about, well, not gossip, they were talking a little bit politically about uh, Donald Trump. They were talking about McGregor. They had Jonathan Dowdall came up with probably 
the worst story you could find on the internet that day, which was about some Russian woman who'd beheaded a baby and dragged this baby somewhere yeah. that she was jailed. And he went on and on and on about the details of that. And eventually Jerry Hutch sort of said, well, the woman is mentally ill. Anyway, they eventually get to a place where um, Jerry Hutch, for some reason, starts to give Jonathan Dowdall a history lesson in organised crime. And he tells him that the first bank robberies happened in the 70s and corrects himself and says, no, 1969 and into the 70s. And then he says, like, look how it's gone now, you know, in that time, the ruthlessness of it. And he suggests, Dowdall then suggests, yeah, it could get worse. He, Dowdall, comes up with a statistic, which I think is wrong. He must have got his news off TikTok, that there's more people shot dead in Ireland than there is in America. Um, and he's telling he's telling Jerry Hutch this is a measure of how awful it is. But Hutch says, you know, it's disgraceful. There has to be another way of punishing people. We don't have to be using guns all the time. The heartache that it leaves behind. Um, interesting insight, really, into his maturity. I think. Yeah, and the machismo was all from Jonathan Dowdle. We're going to do this. We should do this get this person, there's all that sort of language with Jerry's almost melancholy about the mm. the situation he's in, you know. And I suppose he has just lost his brother, so he, grief is very raw to him and he's maybe, you know, understanding what other people suffer. He says, you know, Jerry Hutch says, it's not good, is it? It's very hard to get involved where the Kinnahans are concerned. The messenger often gets it. Now, that was in the opening state speech for the, the prosecution. Um he, yes, Jerry Hutch says at another point during this conversation, this dialogue between them, you know, there has to be mediation. Um, there has to be somebody steps in and does that. Jonathan Dowdall is talking about, you know, we're in a position now where this young lad is killing this other young lad that if there's a row and one individual in the row is capable of killing, the other one will just go and kill him first so as he doesn't get, get killed. And that's the kind of this sort of stalemate they're in. Um. Jerry Hutch says about the Kinnahans now, they're after getting a good wallop there. Uh, they got a good bang, he describes it, and that means by the Regency. So I suppose they're in the aftermath of it and they're they're sort of grasping for positivity, I think, after it. There's no doubt, but Jerry Hutch is in a horrendously bad situation, as are his family after this Regency. Um, they can feel the full force of the Kinnahans coming at them. They don't even know what's to come yet, but they realise that there's, you know, there's this is bad. And I think they're sort of grasping for positives. Yeah, I think they, you can hear that he's grasping for the influence of the IRA to be brought to bear. And that that is a big part of it, that that um, that they feel that that will have an impact on, on, on the Kinnahan situation. And he does say... Obviously, that he doesn't want to go to them with a weak hand, the Kinnahans, in terms of peace talks, and that seems to be a key bit of it. That that he believes, or he seems to believe from these tapes, that that they has to go with a strong hand, and and if they if they don't fear him, um, they're not going to make peace on any reasonable terms. Mm-hmm. He talks about Diodol again. We've said he's very reliant on what's been said in the in the media. There's been some conversation about the AKs being used that the gang which conducted the Regency would have had access to other weapons, but that they used the AKs as a political statement. That was always said, and they're kind of having a conversation about this. And Diodol is saying, you know, it was a good idea basically to use them. That was a very clever thing to do. Now he's saying it's Jerry. Jerry doesn't say yes, I did that in any way, shape, or form. But they do converse about it. Yeah, they converse about it. Um, obviously, the state's case is is that this shows a knowledge of of 
what happened and, and how it was planned and how it was executed. However, like it does also, Jerry, he's not very definitive, is he, in terms of what he says? He's he's more likely to give an opinion than to confirm a fact. Um, so mostly it's 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 Jonathan Dowdle speaking and trying to nail down what's happening and what's not. And Jonathan Dowdle sort of says to him that, you know, the kind of the general narrative is that, you know, these Kinnahans had got too big for their boots, that the Hutch organisation were ordinary, decent criminals and that that's basically how people are thinking. Um, whether that's true or not is debatable, but that's what he is kind of getting from what's been on the radio and what's in the papers. He asks Jerry Hutch, did you read about the Kinnahans, how they've been destroyed? This is 2016. Bear in mind, it took a long, long time for them to be sanctioned after that. But he says to him, you know, I, I believe I read that they were responsible for 90% of the drugs in the country, but there's a drought now. They can't get anything in. Um, and Jerry Hutch then refers to how he spoke to a journalist and made a statement yeah. in relation to 200,000 that was paid, that this money that was paid. Now, clearly from what I got from it, they're pushing for him for more money. They're looking for more money at this point in time. And he's released this statement through a journalist saying this has been paid. Yeah, so in the aftermath of the Regency, uh, a statement was released on behalf of the Hutch family is what I will is what I remember it being said that Jerry had a, that a terms had been agreed between after uh, before Gary Hutch was killed that the Hutches would pay over two hundred grand. Gary would be allowed to live, but he would be removed from the Kinnahan organization. And in the aftermath of the Regency, a, a statement was released in one of the Sunday newspapers saying from the Hutch the Hutch family, as it said, not from Jerry Hutch in particular. But here, you hear the. Uh, the provenance of this and where this actually came from. Yeah, exactly, because I mean, it, it was peculiar at the time it when was, it came out. It was, if you remember um, the, the book Blood Feud that was written by the Kinnahan, the Kinnahan side, that was one of the really disputed facts that they, they said they never received money and that was always one of the big points of controversy um, so, but look, at least we, we hear now where, where that statement is coming from. And Jonathan Dowdall goes on to ask Hutch, did he hear the story? Did he read the story about what does he think of it that the Kinnahans are, are, are approaching people in prison and they're looking to get Hutch blood? Hutch says he didn't hear of it, basically. Um, but he says that uh, he believes that they're basically on their guard and that they won't be kind of making a move because the police are all over them, basically. Um, that's what he seems to feel, that there's a, almost a safety at that point because there's so much heat on them. Yeah, and then he, he comes back to saying, Jerry's obviously talking about that he's been approached by three people in the last week, I think it says, who have told him they've been they've had contact with the Kinnahans, but they want nothing to do with it. Um, and this is obviously, it's a, then, then there's a big discussion about how somebody was asked to set him up in the Kulak area um, he's not named, but he's he's lives near Mago, is what is is what is said. Mago Gately, a, a known associate of the of the Hutches, um, and there's a big discussion then about Jerry, where he's, he's he says this guy is asked to, um, how does he describe it? Put him in a spot, mm. um, rather than set him up, and then he has he tells Jonathan Dowdle how the Kinnahans have been handing out pieces, basically, which is guns in. To, to guys in Kulak. I mean, they would have had a sort of a uh, franchise wing there, I suppose. And he says there was a bit of trouble with some traveller gang and that they gave out these pieces to them. 
So he's basically saying, he's saying he can't go over there now. Your man has told him and said he wants, wants to wash his hands. And he also mentions a guy called Matthew Dunn, who's he says, approached him and said he's washing his hands at a whole feud. Matthew Dunn would have been one of Daniel Kinahan's very closest associates at one stage and would have spent a lot of time with him in Spain. But Jerry's still saying, I can't go back there. Even if your man has told me, Mm-hmm. that he's not going to do anything. He still can't go back there. So you can see that kind of net closing in on him uh, through the, the criminal underworld at that point and how he's finding it stressful, I think it's fair to say. And I almost took a wider thing on that now, I can't go back. Was he also saying, you know, because they had previously been discussing this money and how, you know, if they looked for more and you paid them again, that you'd end up being weakened and stuff. Is he saying now I can't go back, that he has no way back out of this feud I don't know if he was saying that because he's well maybe he was now because it's very hard to hear now that that's the other thing or to like there's a lot of half sentences and there's a lot of nicknames and you know your man up the road type of thing um so but I, he certainly says at that point that he didn't want he doesn't want to go to the Kinnons with a weak hand I mean that that and that that seems to be I mean that's what the state have said that is this motivation for going up north for in, in getting these dissident groups involved is to be able to go to the Kinnons with a stronger hand and ultimately bring it to an end. Now, I would have thought that that conversation, which was, that was a really robust conversation. I mean, that really was much more so than yesterday's as regards the kind of the Regency, the row with the Kinnons, you know, it's sort of... Um, it's not placing anybody at that hotel that day that J- David Byrne maybe was murdered, but it's kind of like both of them clearly are very much embedded in this row, in this feud, and they're they're trying to, well, certainly Hutch is trying to make his way out of it and Dowdall is trying to be his advisor as such. They go for lunch and then they get back in the car. And the minute they get back into the car, they start talking about, um, they've obviously over lunch perhaps had this you know, continued this discussion. We can't hear that, obviously, but they start talking about these six names they have for Neddy. Now, Neddy is the monk's brother who was murdered days after the Regency. And um, Jonathan Dowdall says to Hutch, well, I'll, I'll give them names to them. So in other words, they're, they're, they seem to be having this discussion that... Hutch talks about the, he's done favours in the past for people who are these people he seems to be meeting in the north yeah. and he's done favours and maybe given them money and now it's time that he's looking for a favour back and you know will they do that and they're going to give these names furnish these names to these guys in the north Yeah they kind of have a discussion about how to approach the the these IRA figures what to say who's going to say what and, and, and if Jonathan Dowdle is certainly pushing Jerry Hutch to take a certain approach um you know it's it's he's he's basically saying tell these guys what that's up to them and he says at one point then you Jared you sit back and let them fucking do it basically yeah. um so Jonathan Dowdle is 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 you know he's he's not taking a passive role in this conversation he's taking an active role about how this is how you approach them to get what you want done and um, obviously this is you know, in his in his own statement, um, that was read out during during his sentencing hearing, he's sort of saying he's a, trying to mediate a peace agreement, and maybe he'll make that argument still. But he's certainly taking a, a very proactive approach and telling Jerry what to say to the IRA guys, and 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 there's no doubt about that. And almost at one point, I think trying to rile him up, he's kind of saying to them, "People could die in a day." You know, and and that they're being too slow, and he's talking about you know they haven't sort of. 
I don't know whether these meetings, they've tried to organise them in the past or whether they're trying to get them active on something, but this is moving too slowly for him. Jared Hutch then says, um, he talks about that they could go for Johnny in Spain or certainly his brother back in Ireland. They could go for him tomorrow. We could kill him. He makes this sort of flippant almost remark. Now, you got Cunningham because I, I didn't and I'm, I just didn't hear Cunningham and I thought was that Johnny Kyo who would have been a local from the north inner city who would later be convicted of the murder of Gareth Hutch but you believe that to be Cunningham he's talking about that. Yeah, I mean John Cunningham was Christy Kinnan Sr.'s kind of best best friend really closest criminal associate. He obviously served a, served a lengthy uh, sentence in Holland for drugs offences and he'd also been a very famous armed robber um, so John Cunningham would have been a contemporary of Jerry Hutch's one way or another. They would have all grown up in, in similar circles. Um, now, Jerry Hutch says at one point they're talking about basically, uh, you know, putting pressure back on the Kinnahans. And he says, I could go to war and kill his brother tomorrow about John Cunningham's brother. You know, presumably the, he's saying I could target this innocent man. Um, you know, that I have that capability. But he's not saying I am going to do it or it's mm. going to be done. He's just, he, he's sort of saying, this is what I could do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's and then it goes into a long and lengthy discussion about this guy who's only really called We, who's the guy we're going, they're going up to meet. Um, and they go into a long discussion about him. He's never been named. Uh, Jonathan Dowdle didn't name him in a statement beyond using the name We. Um which is a, a kind of a, a strange thing in a way. Like, does he not have to say his name? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, we has been totally non-identified. He seems to be in Straban. Yeah, that's that's who they're, they're going to meet. And he's, he's clearly, from, from their discussion, a, a person who has, you know, they believe at, at the very least has an ability to direct the the uh, the, the, the dissident groupings that they're, they're talking about. And you know what's strange, and you know, maybe I need to sit down and have a good look around all these people that they're mentioning. It seems to me that they're approaching the various different factions. They're not just stuck with one. They seem to be with the new IRA. They seem to be over in Donegal with some other, you know, you, you can't follow. The continuity IRA have been thrown into it. Now, I've always said these are all just criminal groupings who are for hire. And you know what I mean? They, they they do hide behind having some sort of political thinking and leaning and maybe they have a little bit. But ultimately, they seem to work with anybody. <laughs> you know, they'd say to you in the North that if the uh, the loyalists wanted to work with them, they'd hire out their services to them if the money was right. And it seems as if they're going around the North. Uh, there's a good bit of conversation about e-cigarettes and people getting a touch on these cigarettes now. Hutch and his late pal Noel Duggan were always seen as Duggan, of course, known as King Size, were always seen as the masters of the cigarettes, that they were the ones that imported it, certainly Duggan. And then the all the paramilitaries would have got a little touch on it. They got money out of that and they got some cigarettes to sell. And, you know, that seems to be part of the conversation. And he seems to be going around these various groupings for meetings with them to shore up support after all these years of paying them. Yeah. This is how I'm reading it. Well, I mean, yeah, it's very, it, I actually totally agree with you. It's very unusual because we, you know, and they're classified as such, like the continuity IRA are very different than the new IRA and, and you know, the 
the Ogla and Heron are different and the INLA are different. But here you can see Jerry is meeting with um, the names of people that are refer. He's, he's meeting with certain people and he's also referring to people like Thomas Ashmelon, who'd be a, a new IRA figure in Derry. He also uh, discusses a guy called uh, Willie Gallagher, who he's associates with the INLA. So it's it's unusual and it obviously shows that these groups are much more fluid. And obviously yesterday we had Pierce McCauley, who was only ever a provisional IRA member as well. So that's, you know, it's really, it's unusual. But he's he certainly, um, Jonathan Dowdle seems, seems to be his direct point of contact with these people. Now he also seems to have met somebody in Belfast as well, some dissident figure um, who, it's not clear who, who that is. And he also seems to have had a, a separate conversation with him. Um, they seem to refer to that some guy, John. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's confusing then. And then, then <laughs> um, you know, Jerry is obviously, uh, Jared, of course, as he's always seems to be called by people. And we always call His him friends. Jerry. Yeah. But then he lapses into um, a bizarre conversation about bugging, like considering what's happening. I mean, it is, really is... Uh, like if you if you saw it in a film script, you think that's ridiculous. But they lapse into a whole conversation about bugging, and then as a as a fifty nine year old man, as I think it is, he he has a whole senior moment about a a man trying to a man of that age trying to handle this mobile phone and the the sat navs and uh, you know we won't judge him for that one because God we've all, no, we've I all mean, we've all been techno uh, technophobed. I'm totally with him on that. The bugging conversation is quite simply like something from a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Um, you know, it's actually Jonathan Dowdall says to him here, Jerry, would you ever think of getting one of those scanners that can find bugs? And he goes, Ah, no, 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 I wouldn't because you can't just use them. You need a man with them to come and use them. You need an expert to use them. Yeah. Um, which I would think as well now, but then I'd say myself and Jared Hutch are at the same <laughs> level of same technological level. I but think so. There's also a discussion then about oh, if you just how do you you could beat the bugs by just turning off all the power in your home, which seems really unlikely, does it? It does. That was actually Jonathan Dowd, yeah. the younger man, who suggested yeah. that. But yes, uh, it does seem. And and Jared, Jared says, you know, how would, uh, you know, how would they have your house bugged? And they kind of have this conversation, like, you know, I might have with my mother yeah. about this, you know, yeah. with yeah. that level of knowledge between the two of them. But it's just ironic that here they are being bugged, and the conversation has been played in the special criminal court as they're talking about. There's no point in getting those bug scanner things yeah. because sure they don't really work without an expert with them yeah and then then Jonathan Dowdle goes into he kind of asks him a lot of questions about about stuff like you know he says I heard uh, Kinnan has flown back into Ireland is that true Jerry and he, he's asking him all that kind of just just detail and then he asks him he, he keeps asking him about things I've read in the paper they're, they're obviously at the time of the post-regency there was a lot of talk about um that Jerry Hutch or one of his one of his very close associates had met with, I think it was meant to be Christy Kinnan Sr. in Shiphall Airport in Amsterdam um, and that they'd had a, a kind of a discussion at that point and, and come to a deal. He asked, uh, Jonathan Dowdle asks him about that and Jerry gives it a, a simple answer of, no, that's bollocks. Um, so, and he asked him, where did he get that? Oh, he got that off the cop. So there's, there's a discussion... Uh, about that sort of stuff, um, and then they yeah then they have dis- more discussions about uh, then there's more discussions about phones, you know. And Jerry's obviously is wearing a I, you have to notice him with actually with the hearing aid today, but 
he's wearing a, a hearing aid at times and he he's Jonathan Dowdle has a and it looks like well it sounds like it's an old phone and Jerry says oh is that a Nokia it, and John Dettle says yeah it's very loud and he says oh I'd love that because I really need to get a loud phone <laughs> so it's another kind of senior his moment hearing is, his hearing is going um, yeah I saw something there that I thought was interesting um, yeah do you know that like yeah, he's asking him all these questions, but he's also, he's so fawning of him, Jonathan Dowdall, isn't he? Like, I mean, he has his superstar. He has a rock star yeah. in his car for the day and he's going to really impress him. But he's like, he's saying to him, uh, oh, Jerry, uh, I was I was surprised when you told me you'd arrived in, that you were in Ireland. I didn't know. I didn't even tell Patsy, you know, that you were here. And he keeps asking him, Jerry at one point starts to slag him about his driving because he sort of says, uh, Jonathan Dowdle says, well, would you like to drive? And he goes, well, I'll get us there quicker if I do. Yeah. And they're, they've obviously followed a sat-nav, as we've all done, off the main road and onto these dirt tracks, which Dowdle calls yokes, calls those dirt tracks yokes. The amount of things they call yokes is yeah. unbelievable, <laughs> given that it's the state's case that the three yokes are the AK-47s, yeah. and obviously that's the context of it. But I have yokes. I'm going to go through my notes and tell you the amount of things, not today now right. or tomorrow, but tell you the amount of things they call yokes. They're yokes, this, yokes, that, yokes, the other. Yeah, I mean, there's a few funny, dis- like there's a long discussion about about they're being on goat's tracks, as they say, as they try and navigate the thing. Jerry sounds slightly impatient, I think he thinks... Mm. Jonathan Dowdle's driving a bit like a granddad rather than, than what he expected. And then at some point, Jonathan Dowdle says, um, they're talking about driving, and he said, if the Kinnahans don't didn't get us, somebody, this guy John's driving might, you know, so they're, they're John all... John is him. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Jonathan oh, Dowdle calls himself yeah, okay, John. Yeah, yeah. He obviously likes that. Yeah. No, you see, that's it, him again. He's real kind of like, he would blow with the wind, Dowdle, yeah. I'd say. If Jerry Hutch told him he was a brilliant driver, he'd think he was a brilliant driver, but he's very quick to slag himself off and to just go with the flow with yeah. Jerry. It's that fawning hero worshipy thing. Yeah, but then he does come back again and again and say, sort of give Jerry suggestions about how we should how we should speak to the guys in the north. And he said, he's, one point after that, he says, just so we're clear, we're going to push them. And he, he says that a few times. Uh, he, he comes back to that, that, mm. that you know, that he's, he's trying to tell Jerry how to, to push it, to say it, to be direct. And he, he says that a number of times in different contexts. He actually asks Jerry, should he be at this next meeting or should he get up and leave? And Jerry says, no, no, stay and push what needs to be pushed. Yeah. And he comes back to it later and says, so just to be clear, yeah. we're going to push this. Yeah. And what they're pushing is basically targeting people, Kinahan's trying to push back on them yeah. and perhaps giving these names of these guys who had killed Nettie. Now, they come on then, Jonathan Dowdall makes another dramatic suggestion, as he has done. Bear in mind that he has suggested that a bomb is put under um, Trevor Burns' uh, mobile home, that Bomber Kavanagh's wife is kidnapped. He, The next suggestion he makes is that... Um, Somebody sent in to Barry Finnegan's house. He's chosen as the one, the weakling, I suppose, of the Kinahan organization within the North Inner City to be targeted. Yeah, so I mean, Jerry says that he he's, he he wants to ask these IRA guys to knock on a few doors and let them know basically who they are. And Jonathan Dowdle said, "Who's the ones that would do the most damage for somebody to call to the door?" And then um, Barry Finnegan's family home is mentioned and Barry Finnegan would have been again one of that core group from the North Inner City that were associated with Daniel Kinnan he's a cousin of Gary Finnegan who really would be um, one of the, the closest associates of, of, of Daniel Kinnan and then they have a sort of a funny discussion as well 
which ultimately proved to be true where Jonathan Dowdle is asking, do the younger generation even, do they have any fear of the IRA? Um, you know, and and there's sort of a, a discussion that, you know, after the rhymes that that people just think the I think when they hear the IRA, they just say them fucking Egypts, basically. So there there is some recognition that that threat, which would have been a the ultimate threat in the at some point in, in the nineteen nineties or whatever, that that doesn't hold as true anymore. Mm. Yet they're still gonna sort of give it a go because they don't really have any other option or certainly they have to do something. There is certainly terror coming at them from the Kinahan organization. Um it's a slight discussion about Bernard Dunn, the boxer, and how, you know, he has put himself forward as a possible mediator. But I think Jerry Hutch, he has said, according to Jonathan Dowdall, again, who's reading a newspaper article, that Dunn has said that he'll offer to be a mediator, but he wants to sit down with both sides separately and get their full stories. And Jerry Hutch goes, you know, the gobshite sort of who's going to give them, who's going to give him the story? Yeah, but Jerry, Jerry isn't biting with like, you know, Bernard Dunn is he's not going to take massive offence or you know he's he just sort of brushes that off like you know it's just you know just dismisses him as you know what's he got to do with anything basically um, you know so then there's there's a discussion then about um, about a, a, another guy um, coming home for the Easter Rising basically another Republican figure um, mentioned from from Ballyfermot and Jonathan Dowdle waffles on then about a spectacular that the IRA are going to do or not do. Um, For the Easter Rising, that is. Yeah, we won't name that guy because I don't know who he is yet, but he talks about that and uh, that that's he says at least that's what the newspapers are saying, that they're going to do the spectacular. Obviously, there was a lot of security around that at the time and there was, of course, there was a, you know, a threat that they might have done something. Um he doesn't seem to have any inside knowledge on it, but they talk then about, again, Dowdall, brings him to another story and he says to him, what about those horse people uh, that were there? Do you know who he's talking about there? James Crickmore and Morris Sines. Yeah. And do you remember they showed up the day in um, the uh, Byrne house with the, for the wake of of of, uh, of um, David Byrne. Now they were two significant characters from the UK who were very close associates of the Burns. Um, Jerry Hutch says, oh, they're old news, they're an old story. Um, in actual fact, I think they were very significant associates of theirs at the time. And yeah, he talks about they were at that funeral. And there was this strange discussion then in relation to David Byrne's parents, I assume, James and, uh, and Sadie, who were in the court. Yeah, there's, this is, again, part of a further discussion about whose doors to call into and who to threaten. Um, obviously, to show that these dissident groups are backing up Jerry and, and Jerry's obviously said it. It has to be people in Dublin and um, they discussed this guy, Witty Gallagher, who in court, as it's read out, um, is described by Jerry Hutch as the main leader of the INLA. And he threatens that he's, it's suggested that by Jonathan Dowdle, that he threatens to kill Burns Alphala, is, is how he's described. And Alwyn. And Alwyn. So, I mean, it's it's... You know that that that's Jonathan Dowdle that brings that up, and again, Jerry doesn't. Uh, he's non-definitive about any of that sort of You'd stuff. You swear he knew it was being recorded in some of the ways because he doesn't bite on a lot of things, and it's like as if Dowdle is constantly, like if he actually came back on the discussions with Dowdle about the stuff that Dowdle raises, yeah. it would look really bad. But most of it he doesn't, apart from the Regency. You know, as I said to you, the beginning of today's evidence was significant. 
Yeah, I mean, and he obviously he he brings up the John Cunningham when he says I could kill him, but it's a lot of it other a lot of the otherwise that this stuff is is it's it's Jonathan Dowdle is certainly mm. pushing angles now whether it's all, you know, acting the hard man and and all of that sort of stuff there seems to be a bit of that, but you know, and it's obviously people can have a discussion. I'm gonna. I hate that person at work. I'm gonna break his legs, and they're not gonna do it. It's not a criminal offence to 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 waffle on as if you're a tough guy. But um, yeah, it's it's very complicated. And then the other thing, of course, is all of this is the, you can hear in the background the satnav. Um, they're mostly in the north, I think. Or do they come back over the border at one point, or at least they seem to think they come back over the border? I don't know Jerry, where they are because yeah. they're in these dirt roads, these go tracks, as yeah. they call them. Yeah, and at one point Jerry says, "Oh, I think we're back in the south now." Or I think so. This is all being heard. Whether it'll be admitted, that's another matter. Um, but at the radio station is the Nordy one, the Q. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can hear, you can hear, you can hear, um, uh, uh, you can hear the, the Northern accent on the radio. You know. So look, and that's just this morning. So I'm going to go back in this afternoon. I'm going to take some notes. But there's so much to it that it's difficult to possibly, you know, go any further. Maybe it'd be easier to break these up and to do another podcast if the afternoon session is as yeah I mean it's it's incredible stuff I mean and you also show um, it, how unfair life is on journalists that people talk in half sentences and, and you know if only they they knew they were going to be in the papers they finish a thought rather than jumping in again do you know interestingly like everybody in the courts nowadays will um, use their laptops and they take notes directly on their laptops and I often do that in court but then I will sometimes use my notebook as well old style because I like to be able to look around I can't type with my head up but I can write with my head up yeah, yeah. and then I can't read my writing back but that's another day's work but um, because the transcript is running on the screen at the back of the court you're trying to watch it you know also listen and take down notes and write and everybody even like the really really good court reporters yeah. are finding it difficult exactly so like I mean we're not court reporters but the people who do it all day every day they have shorthand you know where they're, they're writing little symbols for, for words and all but even they're getting frustrated but they're all doing it on their laptops now I mean I think shorthand yeah. is a thing of the past I mean the yeah. stenographer is there and the stenographer actually asked yesterday for a transcript yeah. because they were finding it difficult to keep up now, they are professional people yeah. um, and I just have to give a little shout out to Sean Murray from the Irish Examiner because he seems to have got more notes yesterday than any of the rest of us there's a true professional yeah. um, there was a funny bit actually I did during the, the bugging conversation I did have a look at Jerry and he was he had a wry smile on his face he did break into a smile as in yeah, that doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't I look like smart. I look like an idiot here. Yeah, no, yeah. that wouldn't be. None of us would like to be caught like that. But um, yeah, well, look, I'll go back in and I'll come back to you on it. But I think for the moment there is plenty there for people to take in and uh, while walking their dogs. And of course, we've had such technical bloody nightmares yesterday that I was lucky to get the bloody thing out at nine o'clock last night. I wasn't locked out or locked in or anything, but everything broke on me. My batteries went, the SD card filled up. If only somebody had bugged us, Nicola. We, could have we would have been sorted. <laughs> <laughs> right, listen, thanks for that. Thanks, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, 
leave us a review or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.